0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by the Boss Builders. That would be us. Hey, for this year, we are really ramping up our training options. Now, post-COVID, we did a lot of virtual work. We had our Art of the Great Boss Masterclass. We had, I think, 15 or 20 different cohorts go through it, and we still have cohorts going through it today. It's a great program, one session a month for 13 months. But we also realize that audiences are ready for us to come back on the road and visit them at their house. And so we are implementing a couple of new programs. Well, they're not really new. Well, one of them actually is very new. The first one is our two-day driving results on-site management skills workshop. This involves learning how to manage people, learning about yourself, learning how to motivate. Lots of exercises we do together, lots of opportunities to practice. Our second option, though, is a new hybrid option. And so what we wanted to do with this one is to establish an entire year with an organization. Three in-person, one-day on-site visits with virtual sessions in between. So in the in-person sessions, we can really work as groups. We can do some practice, some skill practice, and then we can touch base throughout the year with those individual virtual sessions. So that is our second option. We're obviously gonna continue our Art of the Great Boss cohorts. But finally, you can also license and teach our curriculum. We've developed it to the point where really anybody could step in. There's a very robust train-the-trainer guide. I will also come on site and teach you how to teach the curriculum. So you could do it at your own time, your own pace, your own schedule. For information on all of these programs, just check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, if you've listened to HR Oxygen for any length of time, you know that we try to balance our content between things that are inspirational and things that might be informational, but occasionally we get a little bit of both, and today is exactly that. Our guest today is Dorothy Enriquez. Now, she is the author of the book, Be Accountable and Be Fabulous, Growth Looks Good on You Girl." Dorothy was amazing to chat with. She was a ball of energy and it was on a Monday morning and I was kind of dragging my ass. And man, I'll tell you what, she can certainly get you in the mode of getting stuff done. Hearing her story was amazing. She is part of what is known as the Elevate Collective. They do leadership development consulting. But I think that you're gonna be more inspired today by just her background and what she is doing today and her message of inspiration. So let's let her do the talking. You know what time it is. Let's make sure the personal item's tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway.
1: Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe.
0: Dorothy Enriquez, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks
2: for having me. I'm so excited to
1: be here. This
2: I've been looking forward to this um this sit down with you. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, it is my pleasure. It's exciting for me because when we do our screening calls, uh, I always get a chance to kind of meet the guests. Some I know, hey, this is going to be a really fun episode. Some I say, well, this would be a good episode, but it's going to take some more. <laughs> um, and I've never had anything beyond that. And so when we had our talk, I thought this would be one of those easy episodes, just a couple of people talking. And so Uh, Dorothy, you are the author of the book, Be Accountable and Be Fabulous. And so what we wanna talk about today is how our audience can do that. I wanna know how you define confidence, how you have really come through your journey to the point where you are now leading others. And so to, to get us started, Dorothy, I was hoping you could share something about yourself. How did you get started? Tell us about your journey and then tell us what you're working on today. And then we're going to dive into the book a little bit.
2: Okay, cool. Thanks for having me. I'm Dorothy Enriquez. So I am the uh, founder and principal consultant of the Elevate Collective, which is a premier learning and leadership development firm. So primarily we work with nonprofits, corporations and small businesses, cultivating today's team member into tomorrow's leader. And the goal is to help leaders across the U.S and beyond answer the call on remarkable leaders, which is to produce another leader who can produce another leader. Most leaders do not do that. A lot of times leaders, if they're not, you know, being really diligent and putting in that additional effort, they're leaning more on managing rather than leading, but their goal and their ultimate call when they sign that invisible contract and say, yes, I'm ready to step into this leadership role is to produce another leader. Who can produce another leader? It didn't all start that way, though. I didn't wake up owning a firm that's located in, you know, Texas and Wisconsin. Um, I would say, look, it all started in Napoli, Italy. Uh, that's where I was born. Uh, so I'm what you call a third culture kid. So I am a third culture kid by way of Italy, Belize, uh, the US, and Japan. And so-
0: OK, so stop right there and tell us how you leapfrog through that. You say it like, oh, yeah. And I uh, stopped on the way home to <laughs> yeah, well, and 30. got a carton of milk. Okay, that's major. So tell us how that happened. Yes.
2: Yeah, so I actually thought everybody was a third culture kid. I didn't even have a term for it. I did not hear that term until I was well into adulthood. I just thought everyone had these like global citizen-like lives. And I found out, no, that's not everyone's journey. Um, And so I felt like, you know, what would be kind of cool is to lean into the fact that I am a little different. And so I leverage that global lens in the work that I do with regard to leadership development, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and support work. Um, But my heritage, so I'm Belizean from Central America, but I was born in Italy. But I was raised my formative years I spent in Japan, but I was also raised in America as well. So I was in Italy until I was two. I was in America till I was 10 in Japan till I was 16. And then I came back to America air quotes for good. Um, I I did live in Canada for college. I went to the Université de Montreal because I wanted to be a translator. And so I was like, I need to be fluent in French. Um, So I went to school out there because I minored in French in college. So been all over the place. Um, And I feel like initially, like I said, I just thought that this is everybody. This is what everybody does. This is how everyone's lives look, only to find out that's not necessarily true. And so maybe we can leverage this as a touch point to be able to relate to way more people across the globe instead of it being more um just an americanized focus if you will
0: okay all right so i want to continue the journey yes okay because all right so so we didn't even talk about how you i mean because so what stands up to me is maybe you had a military family that moved you around because that was kind of our experience with our kids we didn't move around much because by the time they were born we were pretty much settled but so, all right. So, so then you're, you're back in the mm-hmm. U S and so now you are thinking about, I'm going to start this company. Is that how it happened?
2: For <laughs> <you or laughs> no.
0: how did, Cause I, I just sort of, I was so fascinated by where you were born and raised. I forgot. Well, you're actually doing some, that's why you're on the podcast. Yes. Right. So, all right. So we need to shift into second gear now. Okay. So, no. so Dorothy's I back and Dorothy's be trying best. to figure out what happens and next. I am all right.
2: suffering from severe culture shock. Um, I think I thought the U.S. would be a fruit salad and it's more like a melting pot. And it took a lot for me to be able to adjust and like learn how to be American, if you will, learn how to be black in America. Um, And so I think I was on the struggle bus for a while, but I went to college in California. So I went to undergrad in California at the University of Laverne. so I majored in speech communication and minored in French but I think that was my first taste of being like a risk taker and being able to deal with uncertainty and ambiguity which I'm like oh everyone can do that nope I found out everyone cannot so I was like a I think I was like a liberal arts major I changed my major like five times which is typical most students change their major about four or five times so I changed mine like five times but My advisor had told me towards the end of my sophomore year, (laughs) we're trying to add a new major. And I was like, you are? What is it? She said, it's going to be speech communication, but we need students to be in it so that we could get the major approved. Great, count me in. Like, What does that mean? And she said, well, it means that you might not graduate on time if the major doesn't actually pass you'll end up being in undergrad for an additional year or two. And I was like, it's fine. Everything's fine. it will be great. I'm sure it's going to be great. It, when she d- described all of the coursework, it was right up my alley. And I thought, this is so crazy because I almost didn't have the right major because I was the liberal arts major, which did not totally align. But the speech communication path, I was just blown away. Yes, let's risk it all anyway. I graduated on time. It was fine. And then I decided.
0: So so let me stop you right there. So, conceivably, if you took this risk and they didn't get it approved, you'd be on the hook for the extra year or two of college. Yes, I would have. My goodness. That alone should have landed you on the dean's list for having that kind of courage.
2: Because if (laughs) my
0: daughter or son ever came home, I'd say, no, absolutely. We're not rolling the dice.
2: (laughs) And I'm so communicative with my parents. I don't even think I shared it with them i was like no this is what i need to be doing i mm-hmm. this aligns and i want to say my junior year i was nominated into the top 10 percent of leaders for the school and so i got put into this leadership development year-long program where that's all we did we learned about leadership development the best practices you know, the mothers and fathers of leadership that created this kind of as like a an area of study. And it was amazing. But at the time, I did not look at it as taking a risk. I just thought this is what you do when the opportunity you, you take that next step that's right in front of you because you're already ready, so you don't have to get ready. And I think when you recognize what you're supposed to be doing, um, it doesn't matter. Right. You you will get into alignment and the pieces will come together and you will leverage whatever you need that's already in you, you will bring that out so that you can do what you need to do. And literally it was fine. And it wasn't just me. I think if it was me by myself, that would have been different, but there was probably like 12 other students, um, including my BFF at the time. And we all decided, yes, let's go ahead and risk it all. And I feel that that was the best major for all of us. Um, there was no other major that fit better than that one.
0: Okay. So you've, now you've gone through, you've graduated. So what happens now? How does, do you, I mean, I don't know where you find a job that specifically would use that degree. Okay. Did you already have a plan No. or what was the Dude, next So listen,
2: you? I didn't have that plan. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I, the thing that I felt at the time, the only thing I was good at was being a student. I didn't have, I perceived at the time that I had no skills other than being smart. So I decided to go to graduate school and major in human communication. So I did a double emphasis in organizational and interpersonal. I don't know why I did that, because that's like getting two degrees instead of one. No one told me that, however, comma, I did live, but I do have gray hair all right here because of it. So um, I decided to continue on with school. And then I got, of course, a new advisor because I'm at a new uh, university. And I'm meeting with my advisor regularly, asking that, what exactly what you just said, what do you do with this? And my advisor said, anything you want. The thing with this major is that as a communications major, not mass communication, human communication, this is how people communicate. It's not why, that's the psychology of it, but this is how people are communicating interpersonally, interculturally, in groups, Um, in in intimate relationships. Like this is literally everybody's life. It's unavoidable unless you're a hermit living in the forest. So you can parlay this into any opportunity that you could think of. And I thought to myself, like I was already a teacher and I didn't like it because I had to grade papers. So I said, you know, I can grade homework, but grading three page papers that are poorly written by freshmen and sophomores, I'm good. I need a TA or something. And because they weren't gonna give me a TA uh, because I was an adjunct professor um, and I was in college or like in graduate school, they were like, you are the TA. So Hmm. I said, you know what, what else can I do? And that's when I was sitting with my advisor and he told me, um, his name is Dr. Rude. He told me, well, what if you could teach people and train people without the papers? I said, sign me up, what job is that? (laughs) And he said, that's a training specialist. I was like, where do they do that at? I've never heard of mm-hmm. this. What is that? Show me what company has this. He's like, most companies. Well, OK, then. So that is when I realized that there would be a job that I felt like I'll be good at this because I think naturally I'm a teacher. I forced my sister to play school until she was probably 10. Um, and I, I was. this is great. This is what I need to be doing. And so I took a couple courses so that I would have that, you know, that exposure to training and development. I did a very brief externship at the school that was probably like a month or two just to get some exposure to the training and development department there. And then I started um, applying for jobs. And then I got my first job in the training and development department at a background screening agency. And that's how I started my career. So I spent 15 years in corporate. But during that time, after 30 days, maybe 45 of being in corporate, I was like, oh no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was dying. First of all, there was no spring break. Worst of all, there was no summer break. And I thought to myself like, this feels like cruel and unusual punishment. Like I think, here's, I still think this way. And now I'm a super grown up. I still feel this, though. I feel like kids should start going to school year-round in high school because this is not fair. I'm an adult. I'm 23, and I've had spring break my entire life, summer break my entire life, and now you expect me to function with two weeks, if that, and I'm poor? Oh, no. No, no, no. I just... Oh, I couldn't do it. I was like, you know what? I called my dad and I said, do you, I said, it seems like you love your job. Do you love it? And he said, oh my God, yes. My dad has this type of personality where if he can't go to work, he's not a crier, but if he was like, if he was a total crybaby, he would cry if he couldn't go to work. Cause he just wants to be there. He wants to gift his leadership to this organization. He loves what he does. And I realized when I was in graduate school that my dad, was a training specialist. He was an education specialist at his job and I didn't even know that. And I was basically gonna be the same thing that he was. So my dad's telling me that he loves his job. He loves, he just loves it. He wants to go to work every day. And me, I'm in the corner rocking back and forth. Like this is not, there's got to be a better way. Like, do I need to just live off the fat of the land? Do I, what what are my other options? Can I just, So I just told myself, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I got to get out of this. I I have no plan. I don't know. I'm not good at anything. I just know how to be a student and I know how to be a teacher. How do I escape? There has to be a ram in the bush. And so I'm working, working and working. And I'm just like, I find a coach and a mentor at 24 and she tasks me, her name's Anita Golden, she tasks me with, well, what would you do if, if money wasn't an issue, skill and capacity was not an issue, what would you be doing? And I had such a limited mindset that the only thing that I could think of was, well, I'll be like a training specialist too. And she was like, no. I said, well, I'll be the manager of the training specialist. She was very disappointed in me and my inability to imagine and be creative. But eventually I came up with, okay, if I could do anything, I think I would be a talk show host or a radio show host or um, something like that. And so she told me, why don't you just kind of outline and just kind of imagine what would it look like if you became a talk show host? What would you talk about? What would the show be about? Well, that's not how my brain works. So at 25, I launched a talk show and facil- I like recorded two episodes, had a set, had a producer and a co-producer and a director and all of this. It was a three camera show. It was crazy. But it was the first time. So now I'm 25 and I realize I actually am creative. I would have never described myself that way. Um, and I'm imaginative, would not have described myself that way and i'm somehow attracted to the non-traditional pathway it's not like i want to be a firefighter or a police officer or a teacher or whatever i'm now this is my first exploration into the arts and being creative which i never thought was for me i thought i needed to be more down a traditional pathway um and that was my first taste of doing something different and i thought I got to I got I to gotta have it like, I got to do more of this. And so the talk show, of course, the production value was wildly low. So I was like, all right, I can't afford to do this, but what could I do? And so I started a magazine publication instead. Um, and I feel like for me, that's where my faith led me. And I just was like, <laughs> this is not a good idea. I got a D in journalism. Why would we be doing this? But I did the magazine for almost a decade, and that's that is when I quit my job the first time was to do the magazine full time. But that's when I kind of realized I don't know how to make money. Um, Yeah. And then I had to promptly go back to work. And so I was out of work maybe six months and then I had to get a job again and start all over again. And my parents were so cool about it. I was shocked. I mean, they are Caribbean. They are super Caribbean. I thought they were going to cuss me out. And they were like, you know what? This is the best time for this to happen. You're young, you're smart, you're single, and you don't have any kids. And I'm just like, you're right. I'm never doing this again. Here comes my dad. Yes, you will. And so (laughs) fast forward, I told myself, I'm going to be at this job for a year max, five years later. But I did quit my job again. So I quit my job in 2018, and I've not had a traditional job since. I've had the opportunity to work with so many different organizations. It's been incredible. And funny enough, it's not in the arts. It is in leadership development, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, but I have the opportunity to leverage my creativity, my imagination, my passion, and my skill set in this space Being able to bring it all together with without having to compromise my authentic self to do it or without having to fit into the mold that is corporate um, because I'm an external entity coming into an organization. And so this has been amazing. I feel like I've been able to do stuff that I would have never thought of in a million years and work with so many different organizations because I started the firm in 2016, but I went full time in 2018. So from 2016 to now, it's wow. It's been amazing. That's how we got here. That long story is how we got here today, where I run an award-winning leadership development firm.
0: Okay, so so we're about we're at a fork in the road here, and we're going to explore both of the forks. But I want to stop right here because what, what really struck me about your story is that you, you never thought that it was a thing to have three different cultures or four different cultures. You never thought it was unusual to just show up and try to figure out things. That you, you never thought it was unusual to just quit a job the, after you got there and said, this sucks, this isn't for me. Right. Everything that you've talked about, I think all of us have always sort of dreamed about. I mean, I can remember, of course, my first job was in the military and there was no quitting that. But <laughs> I can't tell tell you how many times I dreamed about escaping from boot camp, yeah. trying to figure out how to get home. And then never thought about what happens when they find me. Right. But I had the clothes all lined up because I was sick of it. I didn't want to be there. But you're stuck. You, on the other hand, you could have tapped out any time. And yet you just did stuff. And so... For the audience who's listening today, many of them I know are probably listening to this, staring out their window saying, God, I wish I was Dorothy. I really wish I had a, but I had a, a parent that said, you know, you need to do this, or, or it got to the point where I knew I wanted to, but I had, I already had a child and I had pills. I mean, you have really, you're the story that all of us, I think, have dreamed. And yet you're still, I almost get the sense that traditional life is chasing you. And you're just determined to stay (laughs) one step ahead, right? It's just nipping at your heels. As soon as it closes in what you do, you're like a running back. You just pivot and you go off the next direction. So so all of that, Dorothy, I want to I want to explore that part, but I want to do it at the end because I think that is the part that will inspire our audience the most. I think they I think we all want to be you. I'm too old to be you, but But if I was younger, I would have wanted to be you, you know, you're the maverick, you're the one who everybody wants to, you know, kind of get you to commit and you're like, I'm not, that's not me. That That was your dad, like your dad is the guy, but it's the case too, that personalities are not, they're hardwired. Your parents have no control over how you turn out. And (laughs) as the parent of three, I can attest to that, Right. Right. All right. So, so then let's do the, I want to talk about the leadership piece of this because you now, you said your creativity and and that has really dovetailed into what you do for leadership. So um, tell us a little bit about that. And then we're going to finish by going back to your ideas about resilience and and how do you get over the voices in your head that say you're too old, you're you're not the right person, you know, who, what gives you the right, to think you could be like dorothy we want to address that voice yep. but let's talk about the leadership piece of this how does your creativity help you with that and w- tell me what the product actually looks like sure
2: um i think if you're going to be an entrepreneur um, run a business and all of that creativity is going to be a must because doing this in this space and not doing it in the um, wrapper of being in a corporation a nonprofit, a government entity or what have you there's going to need there's going to be a need for you to be in that blue ocean category. Right. So if you think about Mm -hmm. um, the world of commerce, there's red ocean. That's where everybody's sitting, swimming, competing. And then there's this blue ocean where you want to be different. And basically you're creating a league of your own or your own competition, if you will. And so I do think that that requires a lot of creativity and ingenuity. Um, And I think in how you position content, that's also going to require creativity because there's nothing new under the sun. So how can you take an an old concept, an age-old concept, and perhaps put a new spin on it um, and offer it up and package it in a way that's hearable in these various cultures? Because every organization has its own culture. And so at Elevate, how can we be a culture match so that when we lift up these Uh, concepts, these theories, these ideas, and put together these cohort-style experiences, these activations, keynotes, and workshops, that it is a culture match where the culture can withstand the change. Because I think what happens a lot is organizations ultimately say leadership development is really important. About 85% of organizations in the U.S., say this is important but of those same 84 85 percent of organizations that say that 19 percent of those same companies say we're very good at this and of those same 85 percent of the organizations only five percent have leadership development at every single level so then what do they do they send people out of the company to go and get and bring back kind of like when the ants or the bees go and get everything and bring it back but because we're bringing it back right, because we got it externally. The external entity isn't taking into account the culture that I live in, right? They're not taking into account the cultural norms, the spoken and unspoken things that make this culture go and make this culture great or not so great. And now I'm bringing in this external stuff, trying to overlay it in this context and it's not working. And so that can cause a significant dip in engagement because they've got fresh new ideas, fresh wind, and they cannot ignite and they cannot create a spark. Rather, when you bring in somebody external internally that they can sit and say, well, what is this like? What can we do and how can we flourish in place? And, or can we make these necessary shifts so that people aren't simply surviving, but they're creating this space and an environment and an atmosphere and a climate where they can actually thrive and i think that's one of the differentiators but also here our differentiators are really around neuroscience the acceleration of women into powerful positions and data analytics and so every leadership diver- uh, every leadership firm has the adult learning piece, like you have to, because we're always working with adults, but how can we differentiate ourselves when we're operating in a place that's essentially a three plus billion dollar industry? Um, How do we stand out? And I think those are our key differentiators. And one of the things about Elevate is we don't wanna stay in your company forever. We wanna be able to help you for this year or two, and we want the transformation to last far beyond us being in your mix. And so what that looks like is creating sustainable um, experiences and anchoring experiences so that you are not using some external entity as a crutch. But as an organization, you're creating a brave space where the culture can continue to evolve and you continue to bring people in who are gonna be a culture ad. So the primary way that we do that is through cohort style experiences. A lot of times organizations start top down or bottom up and we take an oval approach because for lack of a better term, it's more explosive. And so it's more impactful to take an oval approach versus top down or bottom up.
0: So Dorothy, what type of organization so if somebody's listening right now, who would the ideal client be for you? Because I know there's large, small. I mean, which type of organization most benefits from your unique approach?
2: Absolutely. I think the, the type of organization that would benefit from the work that we do is an organization that doesn't have a culture of check the box. So lots of companies, something happens, like all the women are leaving or all the people of color are leaving. They're like, OK, well, then let's. Let's not take the token approach. Let's take the toucan approach. Now we've got two Asian-Americans in the C-suite. But now we've got two women in the C-suite. See, we did our we did our part. The box. Those are the organizations that won't thrive um, based on our background, our skill set, tool set and mindset work they will not be happy because we are not here to check the box. And that's not a good culture match for us But for the organization that wants to essentially go on this challenging journey of transforming the way that people experience the world of work so that people can flourish and so that people can not just do good work, but they can do phenomenal work for the organization that on some level they want to eradicate the Sunday blues Those are the organizations that would really benefit from the type of work that we do because they clearly seek for the the employees from, you know, the employee who might be doing the janitorial efforts all the way to the C-suite. They want them to be able to find meaning and significance in the work that they do and and meaning and connection with the mission vision and values of the organization to then positively impact the bottom line but in order to do that we need to be engaged and most americans hate their job but i think that they hate their job simply because that company is often a check the box organization and so for the organization that wants people to find meaning in the work that is the highest level of happiness that we can achieve. Those are the organizations that we want to partner with. They're really wanting to see a change and they're really wanting to transform the culture from an inside out approach. And that's where we shine the most.
0: Okay. So if you are listening to this right now and you say, yeah, that we are not a check the box type of organization, so, Dorothy, where should we go to find out about your leadership development approach? And then we're going to answer the final question. All right. So how do we get that part? If you All
2: want right. to learn more about us, uh, you can go to www.TheElevateCollective. That's E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E. So we are The Elevate Collective. Um, and then you can also... Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Dorothy Enriquez, but you could also connect with the Elevate Collective on LinkedIn as well. Um, We post content almost every day. And we think of you as the decision maker because you are always empowered to make a new decision. You are not a tree, you can move. And so you can decide who do you bring into your organization, who's the best culture match, and who will ignite the changes that you wanna see. And we post content every day on LinkedIn, something new for you to consider, something that we would lift up that's going to allow you to evolve your leadership practice. So those are like the best ways to stay in touch and see what we're talking about. Um, And then we also have a YouTube channel as well.
0: Excellent. All right. So our last question then, Dorothy, for the person who has listened to this and says, yeah, you know, we don't really have a need for leadership development right now. We've got other vendors that we're using. But I am intrigued by Dorothy's story. Mm And I'm most intrigued by the fact that it doesn't seem like she has any fear. It seems Mm -hmm. as though she doesn't know. I mean, I'm sure she's experienced rejection, but I don't get the sense rejection bothers you like maybe it bothers me Mm -hmm. or I take it very personal. I think you look at it as like it's like a (laughs) hailstorm. It's part of the journey. You know, you hope the window doesn't break. You you don't get a bunch of dings in your car, but you're going through it. You're not going to stop and say, well, it's hailing. I'm not going to do it. So I want to reserve the last word around this. How does somebody get that mindset where they're, they're not afraid to take risks? And I know that's a, a very tough question sure. to answer because not everybody's you, just like you and your father are world apart different in how you view yeah. work. Everybody else's comfort level with ambiguity is different Absolutely. too. So in a general sense, Dorothy, how, how can somebody essentially do that? What's required?
2: You know, I think the first thing that I'll share is that, yes, even when I talk about some of the things that I've done, uh, it on the outside, yes, I'm a complete risk taker. Um, and I feel like for me, it nothing about it is haphazard. It is very calculated. I'm not just like flapping in the wind, if you will. But I think for me, it's not that I'm not scared. I am very afraid and freaked out and wondering what's going to happen as a result of this choice. Um, And I am somebody who uh, ruminates and med and mulls and overthinks. It's not analytical, but in in any way, it's just this overthinking. But the thing is, something that I've learned over the years is that you got to finish the sentence like, okay, well, what if I quit my job and then I end up homeless? Or like, what if, I, what if I do this and then nobody likes it? What if I write this book and then nobody buys it? But because I know I ruminate, I got to finish the sentence. Okay, what if you quit your job and you end up homeless? Then what? Well, okay, if I quit my job and I'm not making any money and I'm about to be homeless, I think I'm going to go live with my parents. Or I think I'm going to go live with my sister. Or I think I'm going to go live with my aunt. Or I think I'm going to see if I can get government assistance. Like, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Because I think that we don't want to finish the stress loop. We don't want to f- complete the loop. And so we leave a lot of openings, which leaves a lot of room for stress. And so for me, it's not like it's been, I like what you said tradition is chasing me. And I'm like, ah, no! Um, but even when I quit my job, it was not ideal circumstances by a long shot. So I quit my job in April. My marriage was just a complete dumpster fire, had my daughter in May, filed for divorce in July, went full time in August and was like, oh my God, who does this? I would not recommend it. It is not for the faint of heart, but I think that for me, there is a lot of power in failure And while no one really likes failing, I think the way that you talk about failure and the way you talk about your mistakes is going to really determine how much you will transform and what that catapult will look like. It's like, you know, rejection is a it's a setup or a layup for that next level. And so while things don't always go perfectly, I know for me, with my faith, I can trust Dorothy and I can trust Dorothy in the process, but I can also trust God. I have gotten this far. And so I think that for me, it's trusting my purpose and my calling. And it's also resting in, I don't need all the answers, because even if I had all the answers, I'd probably still find a reason to be freaked out. And so how do we keep going? And how do we make this pursuit of mastery, this journey of, continuation, like it's that it's an onward, inward journey that never ends. And so there's a lot that I think we can gain from failing, from making wrong choices and wrong turns and understanding that we're one decision away from changing it all. You are not a tree. You can move. And while I am cool with taking a lot of risks, I don't think that everyone has to take that many risks. But I think you want to ask yourself, are you do you feel content or do you feel complacent? And then asking yourself, well what do I want to do, if anything, to make a shift so that I'm operating at my highest level of why I was put on the planet anyway? And if you can say yes, I'm doing I'm operating in my purpose and my calling, then I think you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing.
0: Well, Dorothy, I have thoroughly enjoyed the time we've spent together today. I feel inspired, even though I'm closer to the end of the journey than the beginning. But even for me, it was really nice to hear that. How does the audience get a copy of your book, which is Be Accountable and Be Fabulous? And how can they reach out to you if they need the inspirational word of Dorothy Enriquez? How do they find you?
2: Right. Okay. So you can go to beaccountablebefabulous.com. You'll be able to get the book there. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble. Um, And then on beaccountablebefabulous.com, you can also take the accountability quiz and find out how accountable you are. And when you take the quiz, you get a free checklist that you can use on a weekly basis to become more and more accountable in how you show up day to day. And I mean, this is just a journey of helping you maximize who you are so that you can live a life where you're feeling not just complacent, but content. And being able to sit in, my leadership is portable. I take it everywhere that I go. And so I am required to lead from every seat that I sit in. Accountability plays a huge role in that and how we take that personal accountability to be able to catapult to that next level or that next big thing that we've got our eye on and so you can go to be accountable be fabulous.com but also if you go to the elevate collective.com it's going to take you to the book it's right there at the top to help you make the magic happen and if you want to get in touch with me you can email me at info at dorothy enriquez.com and i'm happy to keep helping you achieve your goals
0: excellent Well, Dorothy, this has been a great way for me to start the week today on Full Disclosure. It's a Monday morning, second week in April. Thank you for sharing your journey with us and sharing your inspirational thoughts. Again, if you are listening to this, please reach out to Dorothy for the leadership development, but also for your own personal development. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years. And I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm credit webinar that we present as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.